Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 372 on Tuesday, the 15th of December, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where South Wales has had a right old kicking, we'll be talking about the on-off nature of factories in the UK. We look on with fear that our French cousins may well be trying to make fun too expensive. And we find out that Japan does things its own way again. But first, we have a smidgen of follow-up, and it's not great news, really. And it's the news that the talks between Sanyong GB and the Colt Car Company have actually fallen through over Sanyong taking on Mitsubishi UK business. Both sides have officially said that the talks have ceased, but the rumour is, the strong rumour, is that uh, Sanyong wanted to pay this much and the Colt Car Company wanted a lot more and it was clear that they were not going to reach an agreement so yeah court car company were were bought by mitsubishi weren't they so they were actually they are actually part of mitsubishi mm. it's the impression i get from that yeah um, and of course they're called court car company because originally mitsubishis were sold as colts in the uk way way back many centuries ago and they had a whole run of shogun like press cars which had ccc as the last three letters of the number plate oh, okay so it looks like Mitsubishi is going to be after service only. Which surprises me slightly because I thought I had assumed when all of this was happening, because all the wordings were, were about cars, so they're not going to sell cars anymore. Mm. So I assumed that L200 and any commercial vehicle type things were going to continue. But what I understand from the linked article from Car Dealer Magazine is that that doesn't seem to be the case it's not said explicitly but the inference is stronger that there won't be l200s or any of these they're not going to be flogging anything vehicle wise is is the impression i got well that's what i get now yeah but i'd always assumed that they would keep on selling l200s because they've got significant market share yes but mainly for um the the people trying to save money in the corporate car parks no <laughs> i know that's I'm not only very joking. fair at I'm all that's not fair they all buy amarox instead <laughs> yes because the Mercedes is still being sold. <laughs> yes, because I didn't really start being sold, I think was part of the problem there. But yes. Right, take us to new news. New news is that Honda and Jaguar have ceased production at uh, Swindon for Honda and Castle Bromwich for Jaguar because of parts delays. Although Honda has started again now. Oh, has it already? Oh, yeah, that's good. They got stuff in over the weekend but they couldn't keep the just-in-time going last week. No, exactly, because that was that story was was right at the end of the week. So the problem that Honda was having was to do with getting stuff through ports because a lot of companies seem to be doing what the government is urging companies to do in the UK and being prepared, and that means making sure that they have stock of stuff inside the borders, wherever that may end up being so lots and lots of stuff is coming through the ports the ports can't necessarily keep up with the processing because felix so southampton london gateway all these places really really busy plus they have a reduced workforce because of covid type stuff with more stuff coming in so yes lots of delays there i think lots of us uh, people generally who are ordering things from abroad for whatever reason are finding that it can take quite a while for some stuff to get into the country jaguar is slightly different castle bromwich is making xe and xfs to begin with so they're not exactly dashing out the showroom doors right at the moment no. but the delays is supposedly covid related issues at one of their suppliers but i will imagine that they're saying look play down the xe and xf parts you know, if they buy multiple parts from the same supply and let's make sure we've got ones for new evokes and ones for f types and stuff yeah which is still running by the way at castle bromwich so they're still breaking the f type at the moment mm-hmm. so we'll see it's closing down for Two weeks, I think, was that? Uh, I think so. Yes, I think it's two weeks, yeah. Yeah. Right, I'm going to take us to London. Well, possibly, because I live (laughs) outside. The news is that TfL is looking into other ways they can raise money due to the massive financial hole they have. Don't forget, as we feel we must say every time we mention TfL, they are not subsidised by the government in any way apart from these emergency grants they've been given Mm -hmm. on a regular basis they have to be self-funding 
Now, funnily enough, with a, should we say, large drop in people using public transport in London, that has caused them quite significant problems. So they are looking into how they can raise more money. And one of the options is to charge non-resident drivers up to £3.50 a day to use the city roads. This would also mean that there would be a boundary change because they feel they should get, or Khan feels that they should get, in the region of £500 million in VD raised by motorists or from motorists to help pay for the roads and things. But vehicle excise duty does not necessarily mean it's paid on roads. So everybody goes, road tax. Yeah. It, it isn't road tax. That's why they changed the name. <laughs> it is one of the reasons, yeah. What worries me about this is, you know the big problem with the London congestion charge? Which, the big problem with the London congestion charge, the original proper one, not any of the other add-on okay, bonus cool. taxes, is that it was too successful in that it doesn't raise or it hasn't raised as much money as they ever expected it to be because it deterred too many people. So it has, I can't remember if it's lost money quite significantly over the years but it's it barely if at all paid for itself right because of the contracts they have to manage and oh, to okay. manage it yeah. and to collect the fees and all that kind of stuff so the big issue with with the congestion charge too successful actually did what they said it they wanted it to do not what they didn't say they wanted it to do which was raise loads of money mm. so that's why they start adding all these on now Frankly, if you're going to keep slapping charges on, slapping charges on, you're just going to deter more people. Yeah. So it's it's not going to work. I mean, I haven't been to, to – I mean, there is some stuff that I would quite like to get from a few shops which are in London, which is very difficult to get outside of London. Mm -hmm. And I would like to go there by the safest means possible, which is by my car. And I have actually not done any of that. Not even considered doing it because of the crazy charges and that that uh, have been slapped on at the minute. So, if they were less crazy, they would actually get more money from me. Yeah, it's one of those situations, and and that's what's going to happen. Adding on top of all that as well is that more and more organisations are actively talking about reducing their footprint in offices, mm -hmm. are actively talking about people working from home more days of the week than not and therefore they are going to benefit from the financial gain of that so if they start having a workforce that goes you're gonna to have to pay me more because it's costing me a fortune just to get to work when you yeah. demand it it just puts even more pressure on the let's stay here and keep an keep an office that's half full <laughs> for mm. however many years or weeks or months left we've got of that <laughs> <laughs> and unless you're a big company who can afford to have the prestige of a London office, then there's no point in having a London office. No, it's barely because it's more convenient for people at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, and then, if we're going to have continue to have uh, tiered areas where restrictions come in as well, that just makes it harder for. It's not harder for people to go to work, but you know people will not be going into an office if they can work from home because they're the rules. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's I said this before. My my own employer does this. We we don't have a London office anymore. Mm. We make sure we all previously. God, it seems like a long time since we've done it. You know, we meet outside of London because it's actually more convenient and significantly cheaper. Yeah, for us all to you know even the, the loss in potentially billable time is significantly cheaper to, to meet at a hotel once a month, once or whatever, have a big team meeting that way, than it is to maintain a London office, which nobody's really in anyway. Yeah. I, I, feel for, I feel for TfL because... They, I, re they, I actually really do feel for TfL. I don't feel for many others. But. They, they are trying to find ways to self-fund this isn't mm -hmm. this isn't about let's just rip people off this is about existing for them right now so i i do feel for them and uh, yeah. it's but it's that balance of pushing people completely away from ever going to london again or it has to yeah. be a massively good reason to make that extra effort the extra hassle of paying the fee you have to pay and all that sort of stuff so that it's a 
it's a tightrope they're walking. It's a toughie. Yeah. It's a toughie. The thing is that there aren't that many private cars in the middle of London anyway. I've said this for years. As I said, because the congestion charge is actually really successful. Mm. Everything's a minicab or a taxi or a bus or, or a truck doing deliveries to people who are there. And if the people aren't there, the trucks aren't doing as many deliveries to there. Blooming all, it's a real rock and a hard place, that, with so much COVID-related stuff. Yeah. You're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't. Absolutely. Okay, take us away from the the capital yes. to uh, more, more <laughs> remote places. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the far end of the country, in Blythe and Northumberland, then uh, a company called British Vault is intending on breaking ground uh, on site of a former power station to build... An automotive battery gigafactory. Sounds good. You've got to say it in the sort of Jeremy Clarkson way. I have to say, I am bored of hearing gigafactory. Uh, it's just, it's a big factory, everyone. <laughs> it's expected, it's expected to be, pardon me, about 2.6 billion pounds of investment. They're promising 3,000 jobs, 5,000 under the wider supply chain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's been designed by Pininfarina. Mm. That's the factory, not the battery. It should be able to produce over 300,000 batteries a year by 2027. Uh, it's it's a good spot for it. It's got lots of offshore power. Uh, if they need even more renewable power from elsewhere, it's at the end of the it's at the end of where the 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 undersea the undersea I was going to say pipeline, that's not right. Interconnect. Uh, the undersea Yes, connector. Connector sounds good. I like that. Yes, the unsea connector from uh, Norway is going to to reach the British coast. There's lots of offshore uh, wind power and onshore wind power around there as well. And hopefully, they will continue to have a potential customer just down the road in Sunderland. Yeah. So there should hopefully lots and lots and lots of good news in there. I've got my fingers crossed that the customer remaining down the road. But this is this is good news. Yeah, it's bad news for South Wales because they were working hard to make it happen there. But the real problem was that the because I saw some reports saying, "Oh, this Northumberland's a new conservative location," so therefore, ah, uh, so the government's bunged the money and all the rest of it, which is the government's always give grants and stuff like that to anyone prepared to do major mm. investments. So. That's not unusual. And the Welsh government and British Vault both came to the agreement that the South Wales site was no longer viable because they wanted to be up and running by the end of 2023, which yeah. was just not possible in the Vale of Glamorgan. Just, it's just been a bad week for South Wales, hoping mm -hmm. to nullify some of the impact of the loss of jobs thanks to the Ford factory shutting down. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, but good news for Northumberland, so. Good news. I think Northumberland's probably a better site for it overall as well. Just generally, I think logistically and all sorts of things compared to South Wales, which is which is a shame for South Wales. Mm -hmm. Right, I'm going to take us to Volkswagen. Do that. And this, this has been bubbling away in the background, not really getting too much attention. But there's been quite a bit of hassle for Herbert Dice, who is the chief executive mm -hmm. of Volkswagen from various quarters within the group. And he's been put under a lot of pressure. So he called forward a vote of confidence in himself because he was getting pushback on some of his some of his reforms that he wants to bring in place for the now I have to the Together twenty twenty five plus strategy. <sighs> Anyway, uh, somebody got paid to come up with that name. You know that. I know that. Oh, my word, I I could be paid a little bit less to come up with that. <laughs> no problem. It wouldn't have to be much less, and then you'd be pretty much sorted for the next couple of years. Yes, yeah. quite. <laughs> uh, but what it has meant is that uh, he has been backed. They have made some concessions to the unions because the unions in German companies have a seat on the board and are quite vocal and uh, do wield quite a bit of power. Generally, mm -hmm. the company and the unions actually have, they work together, whereas whenever unions mentioned in this country, it just seems to be a fight. 
I can say from experience that sometimes when it's mentioned in German companies, it is associated with with quite a lot of eye rolling as well. <laughs> yeah, because we don't we don't generally hear them just meeting, agreeing things, and moving on. So we only mm. ever hear the negatives. But what it has meant as well is that Lamborghini and Ducati will remain within the group because the strong rumours were that both those were going to be sold off. There's nothing mentioned about Bugatti, so people are surmising Bugatti's on its way somewhere to some well there was that reverse purchase of of um of technology and sharing and stuff with rimac which was meant to be involved bugatti trading ah okay remember from before yeah yeah that's right yep um but also bentley will still now sit under audi from the 1st of march 2021 because they are going to electrification and they are using audi's project artemis is very key to them doing that so I would imagine we'll see some big changes at Bentley because they seem to have been under a lot of pressure. And I don't feel that VW Group have handled them very well. No, there's already changes going on at Bentley. They have been going on for a while. Yeah. I think they're a little bit of an outlier, probably in terms of language location. It's harder to get to Derby than it is to get to... It just feels a little bit like SAT, where you don't feel the board have really got a proper handle of it. No, Seat's been so many things to so many people. Of what they could achieve with the company and things like that. There's mm. not like a just feels like there isn't a really strong strategy. Yes, I'm I'm hoping to find out a bit more about that at the start of the year. Yeah. Anyway, Artemis Project is gonna be a success because it's got a good name. Yes. <laughs> that means they're gonna be going heavily into electrification and digitization. And considering the very difficult birth of digitization in the Volkswagen group in the last year and how I think yeah. they've had it really hammered home, how difficult it is, how hard it is and how much attention and money they need to pay it. Hopefully mm -hmm. they don't make mistakes they have made in the past. Well, looking at that, one of the things about Bentley is that Bentley is going to become an electric only brand, which normally is the death knell. But I actually think it makes sense in this situation because that's Volkswagen's smallest. It's not the smallest. Bugatti is the smallest. But it, it is the most... Um, uh, it's the smallest brand mm. other than Bugatti. Uh, so you can actually take the time and get stuff right. You're paying, People are paying a lot of money. There's a limited number. There's the time on the, on the, the production line. There's the time to develop things. Uh, so you can actually do it and test it in a small way. Now, funnily enough, if Volkswagen could wind the clock back five years, I don't think they would have run headlong into the ID3 and the ID4 and the ID range. I think they would probably have started with one of these smaller brands mm. and electrified that first. But Dieselgate being Dieselgate, having to do and show that they were working on this stuff yeah i think it's the visibility as much as anything the visibility they really had to go forth with that so that's vitally important vehicle all the new things it, there's always going to be a relatively troubled birth to that it's just the way projects work it's just the way product yeah, development absolutely. works and so i suppose otherwise they would much rather have have been able to focus on let's do it small let's do it right and then let's grow from uh you know learn from our mistakes on smaller things if bentley has a duff car it's not the end of the world if volkswagen c-segment ev has troubles that's much bigger yeah but needs situation uh external drivers all these kind of fun strategic things then have meant that that's what they've had to do and that's one of the reasons why that's been tricky i think so i think refocusing sorting out these problems and using bentley as the the trial area is probably a better idea also helps bentley because they can mm -hmm. stand out in that luxury market by being yeah. the only luxury brand that's fully electrified mm -hmm. Because it's not as if Mercedes-Benz is rushing into that area. The Jag XJ electric version is probably going to be a far more niche player and, and, and not in the same market as Bentley. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's move on from Volkswagen and its challenges and let's talk about Ferrari and its challenges. Their CEO, Louis Camilleri, has left the 
building he's departed his ceo role and his board member position for for the uh, yeah he's departed i was gonna say for the time being but it, it's forever i guess uh chairman john elkan has stepped into his former role because he had that before uh, on an interim basis and they're trying to find a successor so yes it's, it's relatively sudden he's been thought to be suffering from from covid symptoms and been recovering from home for recent weeks but supposedly that's not the main reason behind his resignation just to put that into a little bit of context though um it's not that he's been unsuccessful in his role best year to date 2019 ferrari sold 10,000 cars and that was the first time they'd crossed the uh crossed that threshold that's really good for an apparel company it's really yeah it's, it's 10,000 cars 300,000 baseball caps and a million key rings <laughs> oh, yeah. i was about to say and 30,000 laptops <laughs> under Camilleri that Ferrari has continued to be successful and do what Ferrari does best and and shift cars and shift stuff and, and generally make money. Uh, worth mentioning, the John Alcan taking on the role definitely has to be uh, has to be uh, interim because uh, once the merger of FCA and PSA uh, has been has been finalized, he is going to become the chairman of Stellantis. I think that means you get a you get a throne and a trident. I thought it meant um, that you needed a cream, that, <laughs> an ointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a throne and a trident just means you end up with a with a Maserati. He's also CEO of holding company Exor, who who are the the holding company of Ferrari, mm. and that's run by the Agnelli family. Because one of the rumours is the chap who's uh, in charge of FCA, because he's not got a prominent board role in Stellantis. So I think people were putting two and two together to come up with an answer. Uh, I can't remember his mm -hmm. name um, that's off the top of my head, but that... Me neither, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's the Brit though, isn't he? So I um, mm -hmm. should remember that. Very poor of us. Right, I'm going to take us back to uh, before 1980 now. And <laughs> it's the, the clarification, finally from the DVLA about black and silver number plates. Now, there was a change. What? No, I'm just, I just disagree with black and silver number plates generally, unless you're pre-1973, which is what the old rule was, not what the new rule is. Yes, the, the, there was changes through the taxation, or not taxation, of vehicles to 40 years old, uh, and then they would be tax-exempt, but that sort of messed up the pre-73 for silver and black license plates. Just This was just a glitch that nobody spotted coming through. Mm -hmm. So anything up to 1980 could technically, and this is what the changes in DVLA rules are, is that anything up to 19, uh, 1st of January 1980 can legally display black and silver number plates so that's been clarified. However, as time moves on, you can't change that to go in line mm -hmm. with being in the historic tax class. So the historic tax class is forty is forty vehicles forty years old and older, which is zero at the minute. Yep. But I love the way there's historic tax class in there as a as a way of saying, well, we could introduce something later if we yeah. needed to, if we felt the need to. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So previously, the black and silver ended up rolling. Mm. And this is them stopping and saying, no, actually, 1st January 1980. And the reason it's that is, of course, because that's 40 years from the start of 2020. There's also another quick little reminder that uh, it is no longer permissible to fit new number plates displaying the euro symbol from the 1st of January. But if your car already has that, that's fine. It can stay on. But you can't add them. <laughs> I'd better get on and order a new set for the Mercedes then, haven't I? Yes. <laughs> Take us to France then, Alan. Ah, yes, which is what I intend on doing with the Mercedes, which is why I want the Euro-plated number plates. France, uh, Le Hot Hatch is under threat, essentially. French car tax is a strange one because you don't pay French car tax on a rolling per annum basis like we do here. Uh, what they've done instead as a new and interesting way of raising revenue is they whack on a massive co2 charge for the first owner 
whilst we have the forty forty thousand pound yeah the um, uh, jealousy, jealousy tax, tax yeah forty thousand then what they do is is in fact it's to do with the grams per kilometer of co2 and these can get rather crazy so if your car produces more than 225 grams per kilometer of co2 which, which is by the way really not good at all forty thousand euros you'll be charged when you purchase your vehicle as the first owner so that's like non-refundable massive oh, that's what they were going to introduce it's not that now oh pardon me you're quite right you're quite right it's a maximum of 20 oh it's it's a, a i'm so sorry I've from read 218 on the grams upwards yeah. it, you have only only <laughs> a mere twenty nine thousand and seventy euros pardon me yes it was originally going to be that high and then rise higher next year um but that's that's not where it's going to be what it does mean is that cars that that are we feel are reasonably priced for example a megan rs which would cost 40,700 euros, which is not bad, a little bit steeper than they cost here in the UK. But on top of that, you have 10,488 euros worth of CO2 tax. Yeah. Obviously, this goes right the way across the range. So what you find is that there's many vehicles that are sold here in the UK which and in the rest of Europe, which are not sold in France. So the Hyundai i30N is one of them. Toyota and Subaru withdrawing GT86 and BRZ. Well, they did that in 2018. Kia Stinger never got to France for exactly these reasons that it adds too much to the cost of the cars, to too great a percentage. Now, it's not all bad news because if you get cunning with it and you decide that actually we're going to have a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid drivetrain to get our speed that way, then it can still be done. So Peugeot have done that. The 508 PSE hybrid has a mere 355 brake horsepower in your, your 508 state, of which 197 of those, those horses come from a, a 1.6 turbo, turbo four-cylinder engine. And then there are 210 brake horsepower electric motors. And it avoids all of the CO2-based sales tax. Uh, supposedly next gen 208 308 gti models will will do the same kind of thing only slight downside to that though is going to be weight but engineers will start being very clever engineery i would imagine now, now the thing is because the french are very academic about these things they've realized that in that if you if your car can travel 50 kilometers 31 miles on electric alone they're not subject to a co2 tax Instead, they are subject to a weight tax, which will be introduced in 2022. So for every kilo a vehicle is over 1,800 kilos, which is fairly hefty, they'll be charged 10 euros. It's still way, way cheaper than the CO2-based taxes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that, of course, is uh, again, is, is for the, the, the first owner initial purchase. Because what that uh, irony of ironies is, because of that rule, the Ineos Grenadier will get hardly any sales in the country it's going to be built because of the incredible add-on fee because of its engine and CO2 emissions. The Ineos Grenadier is going to have not that many sales anyway, I know, really, I know. is it? <laughs> but yes, obviously, if you've got, if you're going out and you're buying a very big car, which costs lots and lots of money, like a Bentley, then you're not going to really care too much about paying an extra 10 or 15,000 euros in tax you're just not going to spec the drinks cabinet mm. at the other end of the scale it's a massive percentage of the price of uh bc and uh, bc and even d segment cars yeah. so uh, yeah worth keeping an eye on just to see what happens i think people might get quite clever about it yeah it's going to bring us it's going to bring us different hot hatches i think yes yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not the end of them i was being a little bit clickbaity in as much as you can be in on the podcast yeah right uh, a little bit of consumer advice from us for a change and this is an article from motoring research and gavin braithwaite smith and he has gone around tinternet to find out which towns have free parking this christmas 
So if you're in an area where you are actually allowed to go to a shop that actually will be open and you do require to park for said shop, there is a list in the show notes, and it's not list of the week, but a list in the show note <laughs> taking you through uh, all the car parks in England or the towns in England to uh, explain which ones are free uh, for us to use and if they have time restraints on that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is actually, sorry, it is Northern Ireland and Scotland as well. Sorry. So, yeah. Apologies. Northern Ireland and Scotland are in there and Wales. Yeah. So the UK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is absolutely. So there you go. If, if case, I know. I know. That's what I thought when I scrolled through it too. Do you have any favourites on the list, Andrew? Favourites? Um, well, <laughs> considering how how lower tier Cornwall is, that seems quite favourite to me. <laughs> yeah, not that I could true. actually travel there because of where I am. I'm not allowed to leave. <laughs> have you not been released yet? No. We're, we're strongly no. advised not to travel. Okay. Hopefully that's enough for people. Yes. Anyway, that brings us to a guilt minute, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small selection of merchandise available from our website and Teespring store, from stickers to mugs and T-shirts. Uh, if you don't have any spare cash, we completely understand, especially at the moment. And you can help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you, as we say every week so very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yep. Thank you. Right, Formula E and... If you are the Motoring Podcast Eeyore, then this next article is perhaps, oh dear. But if you are more optimistic, like, say, Alan, then there is another way to look at this article. Uh, Last week, previously on the Motoring Podcast, (laughs) and the week before, uh, we talked about uh, BMW and Audi in the opposite order, uh, saying, actually, you know what, we're going to, the 2021 season is going to be our last incredibly quickly after that <laughs> suspiciously quickly <laughs> a good old kick up the ass uh jaguar porsche and mercedes-benz all said no no we are absolutely we are definitely in uh formula e in the immediate future not a problem at all nissan as well yep definitely still in formula e mahindra went ahead to to say actually there's we, we intend on being around for gen 3 lots of statements of intent so there's an article on the race as it normally is by sam smith which is is running through all of this also points out that whilst audi was an audi owned team and so that ergo there are two fewer cars on the grid bmw the team is actually run by andretti motorsport so just because bmw pulled out doesn't mean there's another two cars off the grid Rest of the article is well worth a read, but it's talking about DS continuing there as to to represent Stellantis and many of the other groups are saying the challenge there is that PSA is investing in the Le Mans hypercar program. Mm. So whether or not they decide to do both of them, yeah, I mean that is that is part of the problem. Is this, there is a, a thankfully a, a large number of manufacturers investing in the hypercar side of things. It's Mercedes with their Project One or whatever it is. Yes, I, be- I believe so. Is yes. that is that the purpose of the project? Whatever it is, Project Crazy. They, I don't know. They've been very very quiet just about it. Some pictures and uh, Hamilton drove it around a closed track the other day. Apparently, yeah, it's been otherwise very very quiet on on Project I One. I know they Even are very busy working Valkyrie. on it. I know that for a yeah. fact. The, the other manufacturer, by the way, in there that I haven't mentioned is Jaguar. They're not going to be doing the iPace e-trophy anymore. It was great for kickstarting iPace sales. It got great. Uh, it was just good for that. But it, it's the bit that's come under the, the axe for cost-cutting at Jaguar. But right at the minute, the racing is expected to, to continue. Okay, good. I hope it's more positive than I fear. <laughs> I really do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, WRC. 
and to, I can't be positive, I'm afraid, because there's a bit of, bit of bad news. There is the COVID threat to the start of 21 WRC season. It's starting immediately with Monte Carlo because there is expected to be today, tomorrow, the next day, new strict rules announced in France with regards to managing a potential third wave uh, within uh, within the country. Uh, and if that's the case, then there is expected to be no crowds whatsoever, which a few people who go to Monte Carlo have announced, yeah, good luck with that. And someone countered well, with, that's a challenge. yeah, the police aren't messing about with that, though, so this could get quite messy <laughs> on many levels. You are up against French police, and, I, you know, the Gendarmerie Nationale, I wouldn't, you know... Tolerances I, I, I aren't high, I imagine. <laughs> Monte Carlo is not going to be a typical Monte Carlo, but there was the news today uh, that uh, Rally Sweden has had to be cancelled because, even though it's in February, but the government in Sweden is introducing stricter uh, restrictions because they themselves in that country are facing rising infections and there's no way that that's going to mm -hmm. be out the way in the next few weeks. So they've had to uh, to implement that and they just can't, switch things around and, and do it in a, a covid safe and approved way so unfortunately no. we lose sweden i think next year will be similar to this season as in there will be disruption now we were saying that but the organizers of an arctic rally were on point to to take over instead of sweden um, but at the time that this first article that we've got uh, linked the the first one from Dirtfish, then they were still waiting to see what happened with Rally Sweden. So we don't know if there's going to be a substitute uh, instead, which is maybe further north, uh, a little bit further away from people, and a little bit colder and icier as well. Because last year's Rally Sweden was was not cold and it wasn't icy. No, but potential good news. I know this is rare coming from me. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> Thank goodness. And there might be. A WRC event in Australia. Now, there's been lots of rumours going around about Bathurst. And as some of the people from Australia comment, they say, it seems, and I'm quoting here from a, a source that spoke to Dirtfish, it seems everybody in Europe is talking about like it's a done deal, but maybe they forgot to tell folk down here <laughs> in typically Aussie style. <laughs> so they are, that that is, Bathurst is not a done deal whatsoever uh, but it does after monza it does seem like if they could pull off something similar because they've mm -hmm. got you know the the country around them is superb and fantastic uh, and the you know, using the track they've got as well with the changes in elevation and all that would would be amazing but it looks like uh, adelaide is trying to do something and it's Yes. very very serious the south australian state government is is pushing very hard to do to get something because it it ditched the supercar round which there was even i noticed on this side of the world there was lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth about how they binned that mm -hmm. which sound, from all accounts sounds like that the department that was given the supercars thing just didn't really get it and yeah. blew their opportunity. I'd love to see rallying in Australia because it's such a unique and mm -hmm. brutal environment. Do you think that for next year there's going to be lots and lots of investigation of the Monza-style setup, a bit more of a stages rally? I think there will be. I hope it doesn't just become that, but I think there will no. be. I, th I think Monza showed that you could... You could do it and still make the rallying really exciting, really nail-biting, really hard and interesting because everybody made mistakes in the conditions. The, the, the weather helped. But I hope it doesn't just become like exhibition rallying, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. there needs to be a mix, but maybe the ones that are closer to busy, civilised places. Yeah, because they can be slightly enclosed environments. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. fingers crossed, and I, I am sure everyone is working furiously to come up with plans B, C's, D's, and Z ones. I would imagine so. <laughs> I'd imagine so. 
Anyway, should we move to the list of the week? Yes. List of the week, it's like that sad bit in the middle of the Oscars ceremony. It's the in memoriam. Yes. Uh, from Autocar. The cars and the models that died in 2020. Uh, passed on to a better place is the Dodge Journey. Thank <laughs> goodness. Uh, but also many other cars which are desirable and decent. Andrew, do you have a particular sad passing? Well, it's not one we got, but I really like the look of the Ford Flex. Now, people who own Ford Flexes, because it's been around for a long, long time, mm. absolutely loved them. They were one of those cars, if you got it and if you bought it, you kept it for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles because people really loved them. It looks a bit like a Discovery, mm-hmm. which I think was possibly some of the jokes from this side of the pond about it, because they were connected companies, weren't they, at that time? At, at that time, yeah. yeah but, it's been long and flat. But I think it's it's a, the style has aged well. I mean, with it's 12, 11 years old, mm. and it still looks really current and night and good. And I just wish we'd we'd had it across here, uh, to because I think I, I it's think the right size that could have done something. Very big. Yeah, but you look it's at some big. of ours Peter, Peter now. Horbury. There we go. Sorry. I was trying to work out who it was, because I knew it was someone well-known. It's Peter Horbury, of course, most famous for the Volvo design direction from the uh, S80 onwards. Okay, that so, makes a lot of sense, because yeah. it is quite a clean design, which appeals to yeah. me. <laughs> Once you say that, you can start to see how it fits in. Mm. It is a big, big thing, but yeah, really incredibly popular you can get front and four-wheel drive by the way mm. so is there one for you oh uh sorry i was so busy looking up the designer of the ford flex that i forgot to look um uh yes it's the bmw i8 uh, i nearly mentioned that i feel that's mm. a, a missed opportunity and i still think it's the future that that's what saddens me is the future has stopped being made yeah so Even the very now, first press cars I we've got drove. a couple Fantastic. local to us, and I see them at least once a week. And looking, even now, I go, that looks fresh. Mm-hmm. And that's so there's, rare. There's one around often, here. Especially with modern design. Yeah, it's been around a while as well, actually. You forget just how long it's been around, yeah. because it still looks super modern. Yeah. And I really yeah. enjoyed my incredibly brief driving one. <laughs> mm. Same here. <laughs> same, same here. Right, well, there are plenty more for people to go through, so do click through the slideshow yes. and shed a tear for one or two and then laugh at others, and then others go, really? That was still being sold? <laughs> well, that was it, yes. They still made that thing? <laughs> Lunchtime read, Andrew. It's a little bit left field this week. Yes. I have selected a lunchtime read discussing how, because it's coming up to Christmas... And a few people will either be buying for others or having been bought for themselves if Santa Claus doesn't drop it off. Sorry to spoil that for any children listening. (laughs) Such a trump. (laughs) But the effort that some driving games go to to replicate realism. And this is about Assetto Corsa Competizione. Uh, which is available on the PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. And they use laser scan tech. Sadly, we're not sponsored by that particular mention. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Alas. But they used uh, laser scan technology to get the tracks as accurate as they could. And so this explains what goes into it, why they made that effort, and what the benefits are for anyone who's uh, who's playing the game. And I have to say that the tracks are amazing. And... By all accounts, they are incredibly accurate uh, if you do happen to have driven the real thing and then gone on the game. Do enjoy this. Are you sure you haven't been slipped a quick fiver no, to no, publicise no, this? No, no, I haven't been. I okay. Haven't been, yeah. All right. No. I wish. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would be the first to know if I had. <laughs> Probably, yes, yes. I would hope so. Right, take us to the bizarre world of Japan's car of the year. Japanese car of the year is a bit of a surprise. It's a surprise to me, and I actually like this car. I think it's a surprise to the manufacturer who won it. 
<laughs> probably is. So the Japanese car of the year is not the new Toyota Yaris. Okay. It is not the Honda E. All right. It is, I'm trying to work out what else it might not be. It is not the Honda Fit and Jazz. It's going to have to be pretty special then, whatever it is. It is the Subaru Levorg. Oh, that brand new car. Yeah, well, no, this is the manyth facelift. This is at least the second facelift anyway. Well, it's a brand new, sorry, it's the complete second generation Subaru Levorg. And in fact, when you look at it, you realise that because, oh no, it still has the weird... No, nowadays it has chrome trim all the way along, as opposed to missing it out of the back window, which was slightly weird. But yes, it has been voted through. It has beat any of the contenders that I mentioned uh, just there. It is the Japanese car of the year, 2020-2021. It's just weird because it's not one of these cars that sells in the UK or indeed Europe. 500 only across Europe. and I quite like them. Only about 100 across the UK. I... I I do like them. There was a dip so on the the previous generation facelift was on the first launches I went on and I was driving with Andrew Brady. And I was just sitting there thinking, I really like this car. This is a nice car. I could see myself driving this car. At which point Andrew turned to me as he was driving and said, You know, if I was ten years older, I'd probably really like this car. <laughs> And then I did the maths and thought, I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's actually really cool. The, the challenge it has here is is that it's it's quite it's quite CO2 heavy and expensive. You get really stung on tax. Thirty four grand new. Yeah, it's, it's all right for thirty four grand. Actually, it's quite a lot of car. It's nicely spare. Oh, yeah, yeah, it I get all that. Drives all right. If you like the CVT usual Subaru CVT caveats uh, apply here. But yeah, I, I like it. Mm. But yeah, nobody buys them. No. There's actually one quite often at Corby Station in the car park, and it, it's got an aftermarket exhaust, and it sounds really good. But yes, it's we just thought that was a, a weird fun, and, and finally yeah. there, because it's such an unexpected winner. And to be fair, some good news for Subaru is welcome on this podcast. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I, the trouble is, um, some muttering about importers as opposed to brands and how they yes. can never support two brands well at the same time. It's always one or the other. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Anyway, that rounds up all the news podcasts for the year. I think it does. It does, yes. That's, it sounds incredibly early for this. It's like only the middle of the month, but the, the way that everything's falling, that is how it yeah. is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the next one's almost Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's just days before. So, yeah, so, so, yeah. Uh, news-wise, that's it. Next week, we'll have, uh, well, it's not going to be a podcast. We'd hoped it was going to be the podcast again, but it's just not possible. But it'll be a big prediction show uh, with guests Yep. next week. Uh, so it'll be a little bit different, which should be nice. Um, you know, Andrew will have, have tinsel in his hair. Uh, oh, no, that's his tinfoil hat. Sorry. I might put some fairy lights on it. <laughs> Ready? I was going Just to wear a Christmas jumper because that things. works. I was, I was going to dig out my Christmas jumper because that works really well on audio. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> but yes, so now, by the way, is a good time to go back and listen to last year's podcast to remind yourself of the, the predictions uh, that were made last, last year. And how um, close we were. What, it's what I'll be doing. Yes, there's one in particular, one statement from someone in particular, which sticks in my mind as we reach the end of 2020. But before we move on and away from that, we just want to say an absolutely huge thank you to all of you for listening. It's been a very weird year for podcasting. Uh, and for Well, it's been a weird year, full stop, but particularly for podcasting. And when people have stopped having so much of their prime podcast listening time available to them you know we showed in previous years where uh, you chaps have have filled in the the surveys that your primary time for listening is during the commute and you've lost that for most of this year all the same our listening figures have still risen month by month uh, on a you know comparing back to last year our our figures are are up 
um, which was a huge surprise to me when I finally, after many months of lockdown, <laughs> plucked up the courage to go and look at them. So, you know, it's not just that. There's so much more competition in the podcast, in the UK automotive podcasting space at the minute the, these days with so many more people with so many more famous people. <laughs> Yes. Have come and joined the space. How dare they? People who are known. Yes, I know. Selfish so-and-sos. They're already known. <laughs> it's not. It's great. No, it is. It's, it's fantastic for us. It is brilliant. We, we've said it for years. It's, it's brilliant f- for us because it means that people actually know what a podcast is. So thank you. So obviously finding time in your week yeah. to, to listen to us is hugely appreciated. Also want to very quickly say thank you to all the some of you know who they are. You, you hear us say the same kind of names every every week. But to all the publications that we use as sources, so all the people like Autocar, Auto News Europe, Motoring Research, Car Dealer Magazine, Evo Top Gear, Evo Top Gear, all all of those those places. Thank you so much for reporting on these stories in the first place, so that we can share those stories with our listeners. It's what we're here for. We are a news aggregation podcast. We're never really going to break the news. You guys do that. We just point people in your general direction and summarize enough that hopefully they get people get the gist of it and they, they then follow those links. Thank you also to all of the people who are proper grown-up motoring journalists who are fantastic supporters, <laughs> who are a great help. Lend us your thoughts your feedback on what we've been talking about your corrections to what we've been talking about as well uh, it's one of the great things about podcasting and is that we have such a, a fantastic audience who gives such brilliant constructive feedback yeah more so than just about any other medium i think last but not least thank you to the manufacturers who have been so supportive this year it's all been a bit weird we've not managed half the stuff that we intended on managing this year in fact i think we barely achieved a quarter of what we intended on doing this year so yes thank you to everyone who who helps it it's great it really is massive uh, it means an awful lot to us yes it does so that's it we'll be back at the start of january with another new show there's special editions coming in the meantime but when you're looking forward to exciting episodes containing spreadsheets legal depositions, understanding of the German court system, <laughs> and the kind of intercompany wrangling that makes Game of Thrones look like a play school, then that will all come at the beginning of next year. You have not got rid of us, I'm afraid. <laughs> but between now and next week for our predictions show, you can give us any feedback. You can share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Alan, if people want to get in touch with you personally, what is the best way for them to do that? Twitter, as always, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As I say, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>